0: There's no need to like put on a corporate hat or anything like that just kind of you know just just be Nancy with this and stuff like that yeah, so
1: no, that's that's fine I, I, and you know quite honestly after checking through barrels to today I, I feel a lot more relaxed than- <laughs> <laughs>
0: that'll I think that'll do it Hey everyone. Welcome to the newly rebranded Bourbon Pursuit. Over this past weekend, we went live with a brand new logo that's much cleaner, much slicker, and really embodies the next generation of our logo. We're really proud of it, and we'll talk about it here in a minute when we get to Patreon. Now, when we also talk about Patreon, for anybody who actually ordered bottles from the Bourbon Community Round Buffalo Trace Barrel Pick, those shipments are starting to go out and will continue to go out for the next two weeks. We are also on our two to three week recording spree. This means that if you're a Patreon supporter, you have access to the calendar of our recordings, of who we're gonna be recording, as well as the ability to join live and be able to talk about it and ask questions along with us. So it's another perk for those Patreon members who wanna join this and actually be a part of these live recordings. As we had mentioned before with the Bourbon Community Roundtable, if you were paying attention on Facebook this past week, uh, as well as i put on instagram and twitter is that the bur- the barrel itself is going to have a new life it is we are now partnering with third Turn brewing out in Jaytown in louisville kentucky to actually do a bourbon pursuit in third turn brewing collaboration imperial stout barrel aged beer so we're going to start working on the mash bill or the grain bill and it's going to take a deep sleep for a few months Probably closer to six, maybe longer. Who knows? And we're going to see some bottles roll out here. I don't know. Maybe in the fall. We'll see what happens. Remember that the Kentucky Derby Museum's Legend Series is taking place tonight. So if you're listening to this today on the release day and you live in Louisville, make sure you go to derbymuseum.org Legend Series and you go and buy tickets for the interview with Fred Minnick with Fred and Freddie No of Jim Beam. The next one we have on deck is with Evan Colesveen of Willet Distillery. So if you haven't had a chance to go and be there for a Derby Museum Legend Series recording or being there in person, you really should be. So go to the website, buy it, and we'll be there. You can meet us, you can meet Fred, and meet all these great people inside of the bourbon community. Now for our show today, if you've never heard of Nancy Fraley before, you've been really missing out. She's known as the nose in the industry for crying out loud. She's responsible for blending most of the popular major names in the market and you can find her talking about them on straight however in this episode we're going to be focusing more on joseph a magnus and her role there as well as the history of joseph a magnus as well it's all quite fascinating make sure you are following us on all those great social media channels facebook twitter and instagram at bourbon pursuit also sponsor us at patreon.com slash pursuit and now we have new stuff that are available on Patreon. As you can see, if you're watching the video podcast, we have new bottle totes available. We also have patches that are gonna be rolling out as well as a brand new t-shirt design. So make sure you go to dot ncom slash burnpursuit and help support this show. Subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook so you can see all the podcasts coming to you from all angles. And make sure you also subscribe to our email list So go to bourbonpursuit.com, scroll down a little bit until you see a newsletter sign up, do that, and you're going to have every new episode that we come out with beamed straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea And enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium, hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof, and the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Welcome back to the episode of the Burn Pursuit Podcast, the official podcast of Bourbon, the number one podcast of Bourbon. This is going to be a fun episode because I think it's taken close to, I don't know, maybe a, maybe six months, maybe a year to actually get our guest on today. Uh, we, yeah, I know we were, we were been exchanging emails for uh, a long, long time. Um, you know, she has actually helped, uh, one of the barrel picking groups I'm in take care of one of the single barrels at the distillery that we'll be talking about today. Um, but she also has her own company. Um, she is a, a, a master blender, an international consultant, and this is actually the second master blender that we've had on the show before back on episode 103, we featured, uh, Drew Mayville, who's the master blender at Buffalo Trace. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, you should really should. Um, because really it's a, it's an impossible decision to wonder, you know, like, uh, you know, who's the real star of the show here? Is it the master distiller or the master blender? And I think what, you know, we're going to get a lot of information out of Nancy today and some of the things that she really brings to the table that uh, a distiller necessarily just can't do. So with that, I want to go ahead and introduce our guest. So today we have Nancy Vanoz Fraley. And Nancy is a, uh, as I mentioned, a master blender, an international consultant with a nosing services. I don't want to say LLC or enterprise or corporated, but you know what, Nancy, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, thank you very much, and it's going to be here finally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, right. I mean, like I said, it you, you know, it was funny because you say international consultant, like you really are. You are international. You are all over the place.
1: Uh, yes, I um, I have clients from you know Australia, uh, Belize, Haiti, uh, Canada, Mexico. You know, I'm. I'm, 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 I'm bumping between every state in the union (laughs) flying from coast to coast every week
0: (laughs) yeah i was about to say because you must be like diamond on delta wrapped three times plus platinum you know plus like american elite status whatever it is right Yeah,
1: that's very true
0: (laughs) there are some perks of being in the first class though you know so i guess uh when you are flying first class uh you know are you what kind of spirit are you drinking if you're flying first class
1: uh, often depends on where I'm going um i i have to say most of the time i'll drink bourbon but um, being a brandy lover at heart i'll um and if i'm flying internationally you know, say from here to europe and back i, I might uh, drink Armagnac or um, cognac or
0: something. oh cool we'll talk about those a little bit later yeah you know <laughs> it's it's always funny because in my last job i used to travel a lot and i think it it, it almost gets to the point where like maybe you you experience this first you know being a a traveler like all of a sudden you get bumped up to first class and you're like oh yeah like let's do this like bigger seats and all the free booze and champagne and it's awesome for like the first like five times but then after that you're like i just want a water and a pillow like is that okay so
1: exactly that's <laughs> yeah yeah after a while i i not that i mind first or business, but, you know, after a while, I went, not that it ever really gets sold out, but <laughs> I think it's the amount of travel that, that gets a little tiring.
0: Oh, yeah, it definitely does. But so know, let's, yeah, I'm sure you do. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. <laughs> So let's, I I do want to kind of talk about, you know, um, you know, just about you for a bit. And I want to talk about, do you remember like your first experience with like whiskey or bourbon and like what maybe like got you on this train and stuff like that?
1: Um, Yes, I, well, I very much remember that. Um, My very first experience, I was uh, maybe seven years old at my father's wedding to to my stepmother, and I had uh, inadvertently put down a a glass of Coca-Cola, and my my father was uh, uh, introducing my sister and I to his law partners, and um, I came back later to pick up what I thought was my Coca-Cola, and one behold, it was Coke and bourbon, and um, we thought, wow, this is incredible, and I, 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 told his sister, my aunt, that what I was drinking, and she said, "Oh no, honey, that's right where you left your Coca Colas." So, it was my first permissioned <laughs> <laughs> and vibe. Um, but uh, what age, What age was this again? Oh, I guess that I, I, I was about six or seven years old.
0: Oh, okay. So you had a pretty early early uh, introduction to it, then we could say.
1: I, I did, yeah. And and it wasn't really professionally um, that I or you know when I my, my interest really sparked um, until I was um, at a fundraiser in in Oakland, California. And I'm uh, actually uh, trained uh, uh, academically as an attorney, and but before that I got a master's in a Indo-Tibetan Buddhism, so I have a very, very, very different um, uh, academic background, but I, I, I was at a fundraiser, and um, and they uh, had some craft spirits, and I tasted this brandy called Germain Robin brandy, and it, it was literally life-changing, and um, uh, i just couldn't believe how f- phenomenal it was. I, I was already a spirits connoisseur. Um, lo and behold, I quit my job at a law firm I was working at, uh, traveled through Morocco, Spain, um, uh, uh, Mexico, trying to find myself. And um, a year later, I ended up working at germain Roban, and they were um, one of the, the two first craft distilleries to start in the United States, in California, um, in 1982. Um, and uh, started by an 11th generation cognac maker, uh, Hubert Germain-Robin, who, um, uh, he had left by the time I got there, but uh, uh, after I left uh, Germain-Robin, he became my mentor and good friend, and I've gained a lot of my blending techniques from him, and (laughs) so that's kind of how I got into all this craziness and and such, um, was uh, through having a brandy background.
0: Well, it said you also said you had you were doing law too. Do you have a law background as well? Then, um,
1: yeah, I'm. I i did not um, uh, I I didn't actually practice law, but yes, I I uh, trained as uh, uh, maritime and admiralty law um, you know, attorney, um, and. Before that, I was uh, I got my master's from uh, Harvard uh, University. In, uh, oh, just this little
0: no-name school yeah, called I Harvard. Think,
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone's heard of it before. <laughs> but um, Yeah, I, I, I was on my way to, you know, I wanted to go on for my PhD in that field. And I, I, I love academia, but it, it just, um, and law, you know, I, enjoyed that, but it just wasn't quite the right thing. And, um, uh, and I think when I found my talent for nosing and blending that, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, that changed everything in my life. And I've, I've never looked back <laughs> It's <laughs> infinitely more interesting than practicing law. <laughs> I, was,
0: I was about to say, I mean, and did you, did you actually pass the bar uh, in California um, or
1: I, I didn't, uh, Okay, actually, I came very close. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I just didn't really have the passion for it. Uh, that's that's part of my, um, I guess, the family business, as it were. And uh, it just didn't, you know, I, I enjoyed law school, but uh, the, the actual practice didn't, didn't uh, interest me the least.
0: Well, it was good you didn't pass the bar then. It Wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't it, wouldn't it taken you, take you down this path then, right?
1: A- absolutely not. I would have been, you know, a miserable a, a miserly person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have to talk about your nickname because it's, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe some people find it attractive, but you know, you you know, Nancy the nose, right? So I guess who gave you this nickname and like, how did that stem from?
1: The, the first time I ever heard anyone give that to me was uh, from Bill Owens, the uh, uh, president of the American Distilling Institute, so I'm I, I'm also the director of research, at, and I teach uh, uh, sensory analysis and blending classes um, for American Distilling Institute. But uh, years ago, you know, he he noticed that I you know had seemed to be really good at what I do, and started climbing the nose. And I thought, oh, gee, though that that sounds rather offensive. <laughs> but but now I take it as a compliment. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was about to say is like you're almost like a a bloodhound in human form, then, right?
1: Yeah, that I I I think also Richard Patterson, um, uh, uh, you know, blender in the uh, UK has that name too. I I think he's the original the nose, but um, but I, I, here on this side of the Atlantic, I I I think I, I hear people call me that all the time.
0: <laughs> it almost sounds like you'd be a character in like a Dick Tracy, like. Uh, <laughs> You know, something like that, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I read a few different things online, and you know, somebody had mentioned like, you know, when did you realize that you know you had a good like olfactory sense and stuff like this? And kind of like tell tell our audience, like, you know, where did you really start getting your I don't know your quote unquote superpowers here?
1: Well, again, um, I, I I mentioned that I um, yeah had my first taste of bourbon when I was. You know, Quite young, um, and through the years, you know, I you know I would go to wine tastings, and I I enjoy wine. I'm I'm not re- really a wine person the, the the way I am with spirits, but uh, yeah, it it just seemed really obvious to me n- notes that were there that other people couldn't get, um, and I, I I guess I have um, uh, for one of a better term um, like a. Photographic memory when it comes to aroma. You know, there are meals like you know, I had in February 1977, for example. I, I remember exactly where I was, what what the weather was, what I, what what I ate, you know, what what I was actually thinking during the meal. And um, you know, there's certain times in my life when I've had um, intense aromatic experiences. I I guess you could say, and and I I remember. Everything that's going on um, at, at that moment, or you know, at, at, at that time with that memory. So, uh, so it it, it it was kind of an ongoing thing. Uh, you know, I, I knew it was always there. I, I never thought about doing anything professionally with it for sure. Um, and it, it wasn't really until I worked at uh, Germain Roban that I realized, wow, what I really want to do is be a master blender. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I get giddy when I walk, work around barrels and, and you know, and sheds and warehouses and you know, being around that. So it it just, um, you know, when I kind of stumbled into this world, uh, uh, it just, you know, the, the two things kind of meshed. And that, that was it. I, I knew what I wanted to do.
0: Talk about one of those. Give me an example of what you said was like one of those experiences that you just, you know, you just said like your senses just overtook and you, you kind of had like this aura of a moment and stuff like that. Like g- give an example of like what that is. Cause I don't know if I can even think about that. Like <laughs> I can barely remember when my first daughter was born and I I almost want to rem- erase that memory. Right. So it's like,
1: right, right. Well, well, one, one would be that, that experience literally that did happen in uh, February of 1977 when I you know, had my first Mexican food. And, you know, I, I remember the, you know, the aromas. I, I had a, um, you know, a, a beef taco and and uh, 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 cheese enchilada, and I, you know I, I remember the flavors of the salsa. I, I uh, it was raining that day. Uh, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> um, I I also remember um, being in um, uh, uh, Fez in uh, Morocco, and and um, uh, in uh, that would have been the December uh, 2006, and uh, and walking through the, the souks and uh, you know, smelling um, uh, the aroma of spices in and, and one second. And the, the very next moment, you walk right next to a, um, a goat head, and, and it's festering with f- flies all around it. And, you know, you can smell rotting meat. And and, and whatnot so so i i, f- I feel like um, you know and you know those were
0: that's i wouldn't tell if that's like a good experience you just um, that's a memorable one though <laughs>
1: and, and, and and the thing thing about having this is uh, a good good deal of the time it's not really pleasant <laughs> and so you know that's that's why i'm uh, a good deal of what i do too i'm um i'm able to pick faults out of uh out of uh, uh, distillates you know, very easily, you know, sulfur, acetaldehyde, um, you know, acetic acid, you know? <laughs> all these uh, th- things going on. And, you know, I, uh, and um, yeah, I seem to be able to, to pick out all the bad things. It's not all about you know pleasant aroma.
0: Yeah, I kind of want to. I want to talk about that too, because you know, uh, talk, first talk about like the kind of services that you do offer to a lot of your clients out there, right? Because I think it's it's truly unique in in what you do offer.
1: Sure. So what I, what I do most of the time, the the majority of my practice uh, is actually working as a blender for um, you know uh, Joseph Magnus being uh, you know one of the the major. Um, d- distilleries I work for, but I, I'm what I, what I guess you could call a freelance blender. Um, so, uh, you know, what Wyoming Whiskey, I you know, you know help them with their blending, um, uh, uh, Iron Root Republic, and uh, uh, Denison, Texas, uh, um, J. Henry and Sons, and uh, Wisconsin. Um, so I, you know, I get the blends together, pick out the single barrels, that, that sort of thing, you know, for clients like that that I, you know, work for year after year after year. Um, I also help um, uh, d- distilleries that are starting up to you know, make sure they have the right, um, you know, aroma profiles. I help um, to develop maturation programs, um, you know, make sure that the, uh, the warehousing conditions are correct and, you uh, uh, you know, uh, anything that, that involves maturation and blending, pretty much. Um, I, I also help people uh, who might have some kind of issue with their, um, their distillate, say, some kind of faulty fermentation, for, for instance, uh, you know, or, you know, I'll help uh, uh, identify and, and remedy problems with the production process. But, it, but it, it's mostly on the, the blending side
0: of things. Interesting. So I'll, I'll just take one, one kind of, uh, idea or question from like the, the cause I, we're gonna have a lot of talk about blending. Right. So, <laughs> so I, I kind of want to get an idea of the other side. Yeah. So, but I mean, you know, on, the, on that side, like, um, you know, when you are looking at like uh, a distillery that's starting, maybe they're creating new make or they're, um, they're doing something where they need your services beforehand. Like what are some of those common mistakes that you see distillers make? Or, um, you know, is there, like, can you notice it, like, during the white dog or the early mash process, and you're just, like, you can just smell it out, and you can just, like, this is, there's a problem here.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, oftentimes, if people, whether they hire me or another consultant, one thing that you'll find quite often is maybe they, uh, but before we even get to your question there, is they'll um, they'll buy the wrong piece of equipment for for what they're trying to make, Um, you know, they're uh, by, by that, I, I mean the, the wrong choice of still. You know, there, you know, that kind of de- de- depends on what you're trying to produce, so that that can be an issue right there. Um, probably. Give
0: an, ex- give an example. Like, what do you mean the wrong kind of still? Like, because like, I mean, what we all talk about in here is we talk about pot and we talk about column, right? And those are the oh, biggest sure. things in the in oh. here. So, like, what what do you mean? Like, what's an example of something? Uh,
1: sometimes a one still fits all. So if if, if you're making a bourbon, for example, and you buy, um, uh, you know, a, a, a German um, still, you know, steam jacket and, and, and such, that that may not necessarily be appropriate for bourbon production, um, and you know, well, or you know, depends on what you're trying to make, um, and you know, what your goals are, what. Consciousness level of the spirit you're trying to pr- produce, um, so that that can be an issue. Uh, but but once, once you're already in production, probably the primary problem I find um, are people having issues with fermentation, and often, oftentimes it, uh, it'll just uh, come down to. Uh, you know, um, improper sanitization or cleanliness in the fermentation tanks. Um, uh, so, you know, that's that's a really common issue, I find. Uh, it, because, of course, here in the United States, and on, unless you, um, you know, say, grew up in... Urban country and uh, you know, apprenticed at, you know, a distillery with your father or <laughs> whatnot, um, you know, we don't really have, uh, you know, people coming into the craft world usually don't have experience in distillation. So um, yeah, on, unless you've taken classes or hired a consultant or had some kind of training, I, I find people that are doing, say, pot still distillation uh, are, are not making proper cuts um and
0: Wait, go ahead and explain like what a cut is to a lot of us that are, are kind of like what what the hell <laughs> she you just say yeah
1: so okay so 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 during pot still distillation you know, of course that the whole distillation process you're going from um liquid to vapor form back to to liquid again you know you're you're trying to um so, so when, 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 when you're making cuts, you're the, the, the first cuts off your, uh, if, if you're doing pot still, uh, distillation will, will usually be a double uh, distillation. And, and so say you might go from, um, from eight to 10 degrees of alcohol uh, you know, with your uh, um, fermented product. Let's say we're making a bourbon. And from from there, if maybe twenty seven to thirty percent alcohol, and then finally say to maybe seventy percent alcohol by volume, if 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 you're doing that style of distillation. So when um, you're you're making your cuts, what you're trying to do, and this 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 really occurs uh, the place where it really counts is during your um, the second distillation uh the first fractions that you have coming off the uh, the still will be what they call heads okay and those are the lower boiling point alcohols um and uh you know there you, you might find acetaldehyde uh, acetone methanol um uh, ethyl acetate coming off there um and uh, from from there you go into the the hearts and that's the majority of of what you're trying to capture and um ethyl alcohol, essentially. Uh, After that, you go into what are known as the tails or the uh, fusel oils. So that's that's, this oilier, um, uh, higher boiling point alcohols, uh, uh, higher uh, uh, molecular uh, alcohols. Um, So uh, you want to capture just a little bit of that for for long-term maturation. Um, uh, You know, Again, it depends on uh, how much of that you capture um, uh, will, will de- depend on how, how long you want to age the spirit. So, um, so you know, there's, there's a, a lot of science, but a, a, lot, a lot of art to it, too. So, so that's, that's what I mean by that um
0: if okay that makes sense no no it totally makes sense I mean I think I think a lot of us, I mean a lot of us that have taken tours and uh, you know been around this for a little bit you know you kind of know what the uh, the hearts and the heads and the tails and those right. kind of I don't think I've ever heard anybody call it cuts before so I think that was really? I was like what yeah so cuts. I know we're like we're like 120 something <laughs> episodes and nobody's ever said cuts before so
1: amazing <laughs> go go figure right I
0: right? I know so, you know, before I, I dive into more of the blending, there's a, a few different things that I kind of want to ask, too, because, you know, you also don't do just, you know, you, you talked about armagnac already. You talked about Brandy. So, I mean, you consult in uh, a bunch of different kinds of spirits, right?
1: Um, yes. Uh, I uh, Mostly whiskey followed by rum would be. But I, I, I would have to say uh, at least here in the States but, because that's what people, you know that's what people drink. I, the, the, the majority of what I do is whiskey.
0: And when you're, when you're judging these different kinds of spirits or you're trying to figure out like, Oh, like how do I figure out the problem? Or how do I, um, you know, go about solving an issue? Like, is there a, is there a different playbook for every single one? Or is there just a predefined methodology that you said, like, Oh, you just follow this ABC for everything, every single thing in here. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I, it, it's it's funny. You mentioned this. I actually teach a, a course at a, a distilled spirits center, Moonshine uh, University, on advanced uh, sensory analysis. That where we and, and I, I I do this at ADI too. Um, where I go, um, I, I actually do have a method for it, and I'm. Um, I've been working on a book for the past few years, <laughs> shameless self-promotion. We,
0: we know how long books can take, so it's, don't worry.
1: But it is, uh, it, it's, it's actually uh, with the um, copy editor at the moment and it should be out soon to talking about this. But what I do is I, I look at issues from the, the very beginning of pr- production, starting with uh, raw ingredients, you know, um, you know, any kind of f- fermentable substrate that you're working with. Uh, water, yeast, you know, the, you know, those kind of issues, and going from uh, uh, issues and uh, mashing to um, f- fermentation, um, uh, you know, and you know, all the various things that can, can happen at that stage, uh, on to uh, distillation, uh, maturation issues, issues with barrels, um, issues that, that might have to do with, um, you, know, you know, the uh, uh, improper um, uh, conditions in your warehouse, for example, too much humidity, too little humidity, um, you know, that that kind of thing. Um, you know, look at... A, 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 packaging issues you know, uh, bottling you know, post-production issues so I you know, the uh, all that to, to say is the methodology is to uh, look at you know all the various places that there could be an issue for instance um, if, if, if you find sulfur in a, in a distillate uh, well we'll say in a whiskey you know, um, and let's let's say that uh, that that whiskey was finished in sherry cask. Well, there uh, could be a number of places where um, in the production process where the uh, uh, the sulfur issue could could arise. So so that's that's the the kind of thing I, I break down with clients and you know figuring out where you know did it, did it come from the uh, sherry cask? What was it? Uh, uh, you know, something, um, you know, that ha- happened during f- fermentation, you know, yeast, uh, uh, you know, it could, could be a number of things. So, so, you know, we d- dissect all those issues and awesome you nail it down (laughs) find out what the problem is and correct it
0: it sounds like there's a there's a problem solving uh I guess you could say uh challenge to all this right so I I think that's what you have to figure out but um you know there is a there's a question that just came in from Terry Bone in the chat and this kind of just goes back to nosing in general um you know first is uh one is is there any kind of way that you would be able to uh, that you would suggest to listeners on how they can train their noses better. And Terry asks, he says, he's heard a trick about rubbing whiskey on the back of your hand to be able to draw out some of the scents. Is there any truth to this method or any other tricks if you try struggling to develop your nosing?
1: Well, one thing I, if, if, if we're going to do it in earnest, um, uh, it, it, depends. yeah, don't, don't
0: lie to my listeners. Okay.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> so it, it, it depends on what you're trying to train for. If 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 you're trying to train as connoisseur, um, versus if if you're trying to train as a professional, if, if that makes sense. Um, so if, if if you're training as a connoisseur, you know, well, I I, I would say they're is certainly overlap there too. But, um,
0: let's, one, th- let's think of the, the lay person, right? Yeah, nobody, nobody that's going to be going in the industry, but who's the lay person that just wants to be better at it. We'll, well take so that.
1: I would say, um, a really good way to, to start bringing, um, uh, that aspect, you know, aroma and consciousness is to start becoming aware of it through the day. When you wake up, think about what you're smelling, you know, you know, is it coffee? Are you smelling, um, uh, you know, mowed grass? Or are you, you know, start start thinking about things that you know, throughout your day, um, and you know, I mean, not that you know you have to be conscious of it twenty four seven, but you know, to start being aware of of what's around you. Um, one thing I've I've uh, realized too, I created a um, craft whiskey aroma wheel. Uh, that can—I don't know what. I think I, I. think it was
0: 2009. It. It's been a while, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It started in 2009 and re- released it in um, 2012. Um, but but one thing I learned is that uh, uh, you know studied aroma wheels from everything from cork to cheese to you know whiskey, wine, um, uh, coffee, what whatever tea. Um, and, and if you look at, at, at all these things, you can kind of break aroma down into some really basic constituents. And, and this is a way that I like to get connoisseurs um, to start thinking about things they're picking up. You can break it down into um, uh, fruit notes, floral, uh, vegetal-slash-herbal, um, sweet, spice, smoke... Um, and then for, um, for uh, spirits that have aged for a while, I always like to think of um, wood, you know, meaning tannins and, uh, and such. And, um, and oh, I, uh, the, the one I, I left out too would be nutty slash oily. So, you know, you can often get, you know, say, an old um, malt whiskey, for example, a lot of uh, nutty notes or an, an, an old cognac.
0: You need to think of an acronym for that, so it's just a lot easier for you to remember, right?
1: Well, yeah. Uh, in the uh, uh, brandy world, we kind of called that a elusive ar- aroma uh, roncio. It's R-A-N-C-I-O, <laughs> um, you know, acid rancid. Um, uh, kind of comes from the um, uh, oxidized esters of fatty acids.
0: Well, awesome. You, you know, it was...
1: Cheesy, nutty kind of aroma.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of funny, you know, you said that you should really wake up in the morning and start feeling, you know, understanding what you're smelling to be able to start, you know, understanding that. And I, I have a feeling I'm going to fail with that automatically because every single morning, all I'm going to do is smell dog because my dog sleeps like three inches away from my face. Like I, I wake up and his his face is like right next to my face. I don't know how it works, but.
1: Uh, my my dog Brandy does that too. So <laughs> she's always just right there. right there. I know how it dog is. Dog breath.
0: <laughs> so, so let's let's dive into the, some of the blending a little bit, right? So, um, You know you definitely help a lot of distilleries um you know look how to perfect their products um i want you to just kind of talk about your process of of going into blending right because you know ryan was going to ask me a question you know like how do you determine the amount of each different kind of whiskey that goes into a blend and does that translate when you're mixing small amounts in the lab and then having to find the same percentages in a batch from different barrels and warehouses like kind of like go like you know, explain to us like some of the process. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's p-l-u-s.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. shopify.com slash bourbon. I want you to just kind of talk about your process of, of going into blending, right? Because, you know, Ryan was going to ask a question, you know, like how do you determine the amount of each different kind of whiskey that goes into a blend? And does that translate when you're mixing small amounts in the lab and then having to find the same percentages in a batch from different barrels and different warehouses, kind kind of like go like, you know, explain to us like some of the process.
1: Well, what what i do um i like to think of it and i i i know blenders around the world you know whether it's for cognac or perfume or tea or whatever um well will think of blending off and and what I, I i call it the pyramid theory um all right you know i've heard people de- describe it uh based you know in, in various ways so so you can think about it is the, the base of a pyramid will be um, your, uh, let's say I'm putting together a whiskey, okay? So the uh, base of the pyramid, which would be the majority of the blend, will make up, um, uh, you know, uh, let's say, it, you know, it has, I don't know, um, you know, caramel and vanilla notes, but, but it's kind of unidimensional outside of that so what, what I'm doing on the next tier is trying to fill in uh, levels and I, I remember um, drew uh, that wonderful interview that uh, you did with him <laughs> a while back from a but Buffalo Trace uh, when, when he was talking about this is you know like a uh, you know building a, a symphony or you know you're you're trying to build something so um, so that's that's what I do at each tier of the pyramid the the um, Second layer, you know, maybe um, if at the bottom I have plenty of caramel, vanilla, maybe I need a a little bit more fat or, you know, body or mouthfeel or, you know, floral or fruit notes or, you know, something like that. So I'll um, find whiskeys that would be in in that profile. And at, at the very top, I'm looking for a nuance component that, you know, might only be as little as 0.5 of a blend to maybe three or 4% at most. Um, so when, when, when I'm blending and and it doesn't matter if it's three barrels or 40 or more, um, that's in general what I'm trying to think of. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to construct something and build dimension to a blend. Um, and, um, uh, but, you know, as a blender, you know, I, I always think of, you know, the, the, the job of a blender is to create uh, complexity, consistency, and quality. Well, how do you create that consistency? Well, I, I, I always like to, whenever possible, maybe hold back, I don't know, um, 10 to 20, 25% of a blend and, and use that in the next one. To uh, you know, create that consistency, that it also uh, helps, um, uh, you know, as, as your barrels marry um, in a blend, you know, they'll, the one the barrels from the previous blend will kind of help teach the next one to take on more mature qualities and you know more uh, balance and harmony and uh, finesse from uh, blend to blends. So, you know, I, I like to, you know, being able to create consistency is important too. And that, but, you know, you, you as a blender, I always think, you know, our, our job really is to create complexity and you know, interest and passion. And,
0: it sounds like you're doing almost like a, a sour mash of blending, right? Like having a little bit of the end going into the next one, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, it, it is kind of like that, or a little bit, maybe like a solera, if if you will. You know, maybe not a truth solera, you know, fractional blend, but uh, <clears throat> but it, it it certainly kind of is a little bit like that in the sense. You know, you want to uh, create that kind of consistency, and I'm. Yeah, I, I find blending uh, whereas distillation really is much more of a science than this is more art. And there certainly is science involved, but at, at the end of the day, you know, you know, there's there's no just you know a formula to a blend. Um, you, know, you might have a basic thing that you kind of work with, but the the art of it really comes to being able to you
0: know, fill in the details to the blend as it were. And. So I'm going to, I'm going to give Drew the benefit of the doubt that he has the, um, the, uh, the analytics, the history, the everything that they know, they know what warehouses can go in each kind of blend. And they kind of have it almost down maybe to a formula. Right. And I'm going to say that you don't necessarily have that available to you because, um, you know, when you go to these, uh, these smaller distilleries, even Joseph Magnus, for example, and they've got a couple hundred barrels, um, you know, how do you determine like which ones are going to the blend? Because we've, you can go on any, any tour on the trail and they're going to be like, it doesn't matter. Like every barrel is going to be different. Like the tastes are going to be, you know, minutely different to each single one. So like, how, how are you determining when you don't have thousands of barrels to select from about which ones and how you create this consistency?
1: Well, it's, Again, it depends on, uh, well, A, I taste through everything. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would never not taste um, a barrel. Um, you know, I, um, I, I usually know the, you know the stocks quite intimately because I'm, I'm tasting through them a lot you know, th- th- throughout the year, knowing what's out there. Often, too, it will uh, depend on um, uh, where things are aging in, in the warehouse. So, you know, t- top floors or, or top uh, tiers will have, uh, you know, uh, the uh, higher, or the um, alcohol content will usually be higher. Um, it'll, it'll be more intense, a little spicier. Um, you know, maybe not as round on the palate, but you know, they'll, they'll have a lot of in- intensity, um, you know, near the bottom, you're you're going to get um, you know we you know it's a little cooler, a little bit more humidity. Um, it'll be a little rounder. Um, you know the uh, uh, maturation may not be as developed, but you know it have its own unique uh, unique qual- qualities. Uh, so um, so it's knowing the you know. In, in each warehouse you know, of, of anybody I work with, um, you know, a good example would be with Wyoming whiskey. Uh, we, we don't do barrel rotations anymore, um, so we're able to pick out very distinct profiles from uh, from areas, you know, uh, rows of the warehouse, you know, uh, you know, A through F, and um, and and so I'll have a, a good idea, you know, where I want to harvest certain barrels from there in, in order to get a certain profile and and then i'll you know i'll add that to the blend does does that, that, that make sense i i don't know if that's getting you know
0: to it yeah i know i i think i think it's it's leading up to it
1: there's a, a, a lot involved to it and um so you know it, it's it, it's part of that um uh and uh, again it's um uh uh, uh you know, knowing the stock quite intimately, too, you know, you uh, over time know what to look for. And, you know, I, I, I have to say, that because I blend for a lot of different distilleries, my methodology might be a little different from distillery to distillery, de- depending on what the, the needs are.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I think that makes sense. So uh, I got kind of one more question before we start diving into the Joseph Magnus stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, since you are blending and you're doing a lot of things with different distilleries, and I think we've brought up on the show before, and you see it quite often in the beer industry, where you see collaborations of different breweries and they'll use the yeast or use something, you know, and coming from a blending background yourself, do you find it odd that or interesting maybe that distilleries don't do like limited edition blendings with we'll say like, I'll take a few barrels from here from your distillery. I'll take a few barrels from this distillery and we'll put it together and we'll come out with a collaboration series. Now, don't be wrong. I know this is what, this is what NDPs <laughs> are for, but however, like you don't really see like this collaboration between different distilleries.
1: Well, that's, that's an excellent point. Um, And you know, I, I, I would like to, to see us do a lot more of that here in the States um, the, the way you might do in Scotland, for example. Um, I think, you know, I, I know there's a lot of emphasis at the moment on um, getting, um, uh, you know, having uh, people kind of want to taste the terroir of the, you know, from a certain distillery, which is perfectly fine and can, can be a beautiful thing, but, but when you start blending um, just as you said, from distillery to distillery um, and, you know, I have a few things kind of going on like that at the moment behind the scenes. Um, but, uh, you know, you can create much more interesting profiles, things people have never thought of before. Um, and I, I, I'd really love to, to see more collaboration uh, that way here in the States. I, I think if... Um, you know, Distilleries would be more open to sharing, um, you know, uh, distillate and, and being able to, to blend that way. Um, you know, we could just really uh, blow open the doors here. and uh, Yeah, it's, um, it's something I for sure have been wanting to see for a very long time. And Knock on wood, it's <laughs> slowly starting to, to happen, but I, I, I would really like to see a lot more of that. Um,
0: Oh, cool. Maybe we'll talk after this, and we'll form an ll we'll, we'll form an LLC and kind of get our own thing going. So you got it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's also one more question about blending. You know, I asked this to Drew, and I kind of want to get your take on it too, because uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people that do home blending. You know, they like to do it with aftermarket products. Um, perhaps they perhaps they like go buy a uh, some white dog and age it in like one of those like one gallon barrels, or they take a they take the one ounce. Uh, out of every single one of the bottles they have and they put in their affinity bottle, Uh, you know, kind of give an idea of like if, if home blenders should just give up because, you know, like (laughs) leave, leave it to you all to kind of just figure it out. Or do you, or is there like a recipe or something like that? Or maybe you should kind of like think about when you're going into a blend of like, if you're going to be buying aftermarket products to try to blend stuff, like maybe this is the way you should think about it.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, and and that's I, I thought about that question when I when I saw your interview with Drew, um, you know, I've had, had a chance to think about it since. <laughs> so, no, there is. Um you know, I I certainly encourage people to do home blending. Um, I mean, heck, I I have to admit, I you know, in my free time, not that I have that much <laughs> anymore, but you know, when I when I'm actually at home, I I like to do things like that myself. Um, that said uh, and and I think drew is spot on about this you know in a you the know, one to five gallon barrel you know even a 10 gallon you're never going to really be able to approximate the the kind of things that you can do um, with a say a standard 53 gallon uh, whiskey barrel um, and I I know people you know might you know, make up blends and add a little bit of you know, port or sherry or Saturn, or you know something like that in their home blends, which which is great, and those kind of things can be, you're know, really um, uh, you know, nice in and of themselves. But but you're never going to quite approximate the the same way that it would be from when you put it in a finishing cask, for example, where you have uh, the benefit of the ingress and egress of oxygen over time, and you know more um, complex. Chemical reactions occurring, and uh, uh, you know, it it will be different, and and that, and um, uh, and you know, so, you know, I certainly want to encourage all the home blenders. You know, it, it's it's a fun thing to do for sure to see what kind of uh, uh, aromas you can create, but but it it, it is a very di- different thing for sure, and. Um, you know, I, I I don't think it can quite approximate, you know, what we're able to do, but, <laughs> but by all means I I
0: could I could read between your lines there. I could read between the lines. Like leave it to the professionals. Like we could figure this out.
1: Oh that's <laughs> yeah, we don't, don't want to be, you know, put out of business for goodness sakes.
0: <laughs> you don't want to have a competition, right? No more competition. I'm just kidding. No, I think I think your reputation speaks for itself. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I I, I want people to have fun with it. Uh, At at the end of the day, that's that's really what it's about, is enjoying something, really.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk about a a whiskey that I actually enjoy myself, uh, Joseph Magnus. So I kind of wanted to let you know, first off, uh, if you can talk about anything about the distillery, the history, and kind of what you're doing there for him as well.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, so uh, uh, Joseph Magnus was... Uh, Originally, a distillery started by Joseph A. Magnus um, in uh, uh, Cincinnati. uh, I believe he opened his doors in 1892. In Cincinnati, uh, he would say uh, uh, distiller, blender, and rectifier. Um, uh, So he was sourcing at that time, uh, just as we are at the moment for (laughs) the uh, uh, magnets that we make. Uh, right now. Um, he uh, uh, shut his doors in 19, uh, 1917. Um, uh, and uh, so, so what I'm doing, when I'm, I was approached, uh, and, and my part of this is uh, uh, this old bottle had, um, had been passed down through the family. I, actually, a, a few of them had been passed down um, and the uh, great-great-grandson, when, when his mother died, you know, found these bottles in her closet, uh, took them and <clears throat> took them to uh, uh, to me and uh, 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 Dave Shurik, you know, former master uh, distiller at uh, Woodford Reserve, and um, uh, uh, Richard Wolf, uh, who was the uh, uh, GM at uh, uh, Buffalo Trace, and... Um, Took them to us to analyze, and uh, I, so I actually got a uh, <laughs> a needle and syringe and went down through the cork or the uh, uh, side of the bottle and you know, took samples out. We uh, um, did a sensory analysis, the three of us, and uh, it was phenomenal. I, I have to say, I, it was uh, it was clear that it you know it was an older whiskey. Um, you know, if if that if that bottle was from uh, 1892, when he opened in 1892, well, yeah, he obviously didn't distill it himself, right? But um, a, a very interesting part that we found, uh, I kept on getting this very distinct sherry kind of note. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd for a bourbon. Um, well, lo and behold, um, we found out through uh, uh, historical records that, that and after um, uh, Joseph Magnus sold the distillery, uh, he was selling off sherry barrels, so, so we you know were able to confirm that you know, sherry barrels were indeed used. So when when I was trying to create the um, you know recreate this profile um, of the original whiskey, it was really obvious to me that I I would have to use sherry cask for it. Um, the um, uh, cognac cask, which you know, we uh, use a small percentage of, that that's not historically authentic. Um, but I, I felt like I needed a little bit of that profile just to, to, to uh, replicate the original. I, I needed a little bit more floral, fruit, and nut kind of qualities from it. Um, you know, some things I, I wasn't exactly getting from the sherry. So um, so that's that's how we came up with the um, uh, the Joseph Magnus triple cask.
0: Interesting. And- so. Um- and was Joseph Magnus like? Was the distillery a, a, a casualty of a prohibition? Then I'm assuming.
1: Um. Well, the Volstead Act didn't go into effect until what was it, 1919? Um, but I, but I think it might have been. um couldn't
0: okay, uh, have been prohibition because that was way later then. Yeah.
1: Saw yeah the 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 writing on the wall at that time. And in fact, this is Joseph right over my shoulder right here. <laughs>
0: Um, well, I think it's interesting that, that he was aging in sherry casks, because I, I kind of thought that, you know, a lot of the, the different kind of, like, um, you know, the aging in different kinds of barrels was was something that is, is more modern in the past, like, decade, rather than it was doing, you know, 100 years ago.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. And um, I've, I've since learned that um, uh, sherry casks were not uncommon here uh, to find in the United States, and um maybe he he was just using what he could find i i don't know i've 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 really been wanting to 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 find out a little bit more why he chose sherry cask but uh but the original um and i keep it in an undisclosed location uh, a little (laughs) bit of it in my my home office (laughs) we won't
0: we make sure we won't give out that address
1: (laughs) thank you um I, I don't have the original bottles anymore. That's stayed with the the, the family, but I, I do have a little bit of the original um, uh, whiskey in at, at my home lab. Um,
0: but so uh, but I kind ca- it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I kind of want you to talk about like reverse engineering this and kind of like what your thought process was going into this and and how you got to triple casking something to kind of try to recreate that original flavor.
1: Well again you know um, i know that um it, it, it was quite obvious that i I'll, I'll start with the sourced with ski okay i and i i know a lot of people are you know always pleased with the stellaries the stores but it, and,
0: it, i think it's i think it's it's better to have transparency than anything right so i think that's i think well, people I, appreciate I, I that
1: agree, and uh, but you know i i have to say in this case there are was a historical precedent with that with the original distillery and you know, they they were doing that uh, obviously when they opened um and, you know they uh, had bought some old whiskey and uh, you know had it in sherry cask um so uh, you know they're they're certainly was a historical precedent for it and, and you know being a blender and a rectifier too you know you know that's what you do you have sorts sometimes but um uh, uh, so, yeah, you know, the, the thought process was trying to stay, um, to, to keep to the um, uh, uh, in, integrity and taste profile of the original whiskey as much as possible using what we have to work with today. And um, uh, and, and so that, you know, that that's why, you know, we, or I chose to finish it in Sherry. Um, and, uh, you know, again, the cognac cask part was, uh, you know, I, it's not historically accurate, but I, if I was going to maintain the integrity of the original and the, you know, stick as close as I could to the original um, profile, uh, I felt like I had no choice but to, to use that.
0: I mean, I guess kind of talk about like some of the different uh, flavor profiles that you are getting off these different kinds of cask finishes, right? Because it seems like that 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 is that is your your key to finding these secret blends is 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 using all these these crazy kind of barrel finishes.
1: So what I'm I'm looking for, uh, but because the 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 whiskey that we use is now 10, 11 years old, um, you know, I'm I'm not looking you know, first of all in the finishing cask. I I'm not looking for new tannins necessarily. Um, so I, I like to, to be very careful about what cask I pick, um, you know what what co- cooperages I you know work with. Um, you know, I I don't want to be introduced in new tannin and uh, in there, but but from the the uh, oloroso, for example, I, I want some nuttiness and uh, dry dark fruit and black currant and um, you know that that sort of thing. From the the PX will be a little sweeter, and I. Excuse me, I I, I don't use a whole lot of that in the blend, um, but I I want just a little bit more of that nutty quality. Again, dry, dark fruit, you know, think um, date, fig, um, black currant, uh, dark uh, dark cherry, that sort of thing, maybe uh, some um, candied orange peel. Uh, As well, and from the cognac, I'm I'm really looking for a little bit more of a um, uh, I I hesitate to say grapeiness, but a little bit more of a um, uh, floral note, and and maybe um, maybe a, a little orchard fruit in there too, if if that makes sense.
0: You can say whatever you want. It, it's going to make sense to me because I'm not a, I'm not a trained, I, I don't train my palate that well. So yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah. And, and, and a little bit of the, the notes that you might get from, uh, um, you know, from Unia block, which they, they use in cognac. You know, that That's the varietal that's, that's used um, to, to make cognac. Um, you know, we're get a little bit more of the, uh, minerality if, if if that makes sense uh, you know, from the the soil and and such so so that those were the kind of notes that I I was looking for because the original uh, magnus you know, that, that old bottle of you know 125 year old whiskey was so complex I, um, I unfortunately it's degraded a lot and after I opened it I you know I keep my vile, well sealed and a <laughs> dark, dry lo- location at my house. but, um, but you know, it, it has uh, started to, to degrade. but when we originally opened it, uh, it, it was one of the most complex things I think the three of us had ever tasted. it was just absolutely phenomenal.
0: Well, awesome so there's a there's another one that you guys are also pushing out there actually you guys have a few different labels so you got the single barrels uh from joseph a magnus as well um and then those are just uh straight source just single barrels right nothing too crazy finishing or anything like that
1: for 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 which one again
0: uh the joseph Magnus single barrels oh uh
1: yeah. like the that's, the private the private
0: programs right that's, yeah
1: that's correct yeah. yeah 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 there's yeah nothing crazy about it.
0: Yeah, and maybe
1: and, it's crazy, but that's <laughs>
0: yeah, right. I'm with you. Uh, and then there's uh, Murray Hill as well. Can you talk about that one a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, so uh, uh, Murray Hill Club was um, it, it was an original um, Joseph Magnus brand from the turn of the century. Um, unfortunately, with that one, I did not have an original bottle to go with. So I, all I had were these turn-of-the-century uh, advertisements that said things like, um, uh, Murray Hill Club is preferred by you know, nine out of ten gentlemen, or, you know, it, it helps with um, um, what, what there was uh, some kind of wild saying about um, uh, if it, um, if, if marriage is the fatal termination of a disease called love, then Murray Hill is the cure for that. <laughs> it's really, you know, obscure, you know, very nebulous kind of.
0: Macho, species. whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: And so I, I really had no idea how to, how to make, you know, I, you know, how am I going to blend something you know, based on what these advertisements say? So I, with, with, with that, I kind of took a chance, and um, I have to say, not that I'm um, John Glazer uh, by any stretch, but I'm, I'm a big John Glazer fan. of Compass Box um, uh, uh, whiskey, I, I don't know if, if you've ever heard, heard, uh, had that. I've heard of,
0: I've heard of Compass Box. Sure. I haven't had it, and but I've heard of it. A yeah.
1: Brilliant blender. Um, he's one of my blending heroes, uh, and I, I wanted to kind of do something in that spirit. Again, not that I'm him, but (laughs) but uh, uh, his style of blending was certainly an inspiration. So, uh, and I I know he does blended whiskeys. So I thought, well, why not um, revive uh, a a historical category of blended bourbon? Uh, so, So I thought, well, you know, maybe taking a chance with that, but I thought let's make Murray Hill into a blended bourbon. And so with that, um, in order to kind of approximate what I think this old whiskey might've tasted like, I use a very small percentage of a nine uh, year old uh, light whiskey. Um, The the majority of the blend will be uh, eleven and twelve year old bourbon uh, with a some eighteen year old added uh, you know, the nuance component to it so um so it, it's it's intended to be um, yeah have uh, uh, some um, uh, 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 you know, complexity but it's also an, intended to be you know, somewhat lighter or well, round on the palate, or <laughs> I certainly hope it is, and you know, right? Just an enjoyable dram.
0: So this is—I mean, I'm, I'm glad you kind of put that out there because it was actually a question that came from uh, on Facebook. It was from Jason Fritz, and 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 he's kind of curious. He's like, so you know, there's light whiskey in Murray Hill. How can it be labeled a bourbon then? You know, I don't know if, if this is a TTB question, but he was just kind of curious. It
1: is. Yeah, yeah, there, 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 there is a category called blended bourbon or. Also known as bourbon, a blend, and I think you have to have 51% um, straight bourbon by the proof gallon, or something like that. I fr- forget the exact um, uh, specification, but we're—I mean, way down. I mean, the the amount of flight whiskey that we use—you know, maybe it's one barrel to five—you know, much older uh, bourbons.
0: Gotcha. So, See, that's all you had to it's, do.
1: It's, it's Myth just busted. A, a little bit uh, to kind of make it a different thing from, from bourbon.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: yeah. But it, you know, it, it's, um, and you know, it, it, it's the same thing. It's, it's not exactly like bourbon, but it, it has a lot of those qualities. And I, I think also, you know, being, um, I'm, you know, because I, I have more of a kind of a European spirits background, um, And those type of spirits tend to be much shyer on oak than, uh, say, bourbon and other American whiskeys. I also wanted that component from the light whiskey to not, you know, be quite as oak forward and be a a little shyer on that aspect. Absolutely.
0: And then you've got another product called the cigar blend that is uh, one of, one of your babies as well so I kind of want that's you to
1: that's my child
0: <laughs> so yeah so kind of talk about like what what goes into the cigar blend and what makes this uh, you know the I guess you could say the the motivation uh, to make it as well and everything like that
1: yeah sure so um so I was um, actually I I live in Berkeley California and I, I was uh, a rare time that I was at home I, I was under um, on my deck under the, the redwoods one evening, on a you know, nice warm evening, um, smoking my pipe. And I you know, I was having, um, you know, trying a, 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 a Joseph Magnus a triple cask, a, a number of my um, other bourbon go-to's and then I ventured into, over to Armagnac. And for whatever reason, it, nothing was really hitting my palate the right way that evening. so. I thought, hmm, well, you know, I I like to have an occasional cigar or smoke a pipe occasionally. And wouldn't it be nice to, you know, I I like um, uh, cognacs that have been, you know, cigar blend cognacs and such. And I'm an Armagnac fan. Wouldn't it be great to make something like that with bourbon? And uh, so that that was the genesis of it. And and then I, started putting together some prototypes and uh, see how this would really work out. And, um, and what I, what the, the, the way it kind of ended up is I use about roughly 20 to 25 percent of the um, Joseph Magnus triple cask in there. Um, the majority of the blend will be, um, I wanted a little bit more rye in the blends, so i use um you know with a, about a thirty six percent um rye bourbon and m g p of course um and uh and then some some eighteen year old uh and i i i add more eighteen year old to this one and <laughs> and some of the uh, the Armagnac components too i i think uh, you know from the barrels you know the, the, some of the Armagnacs were pretty old too and and they're the, in, the, in the woods. So, um, so I, you know, I, I think all the components to that are, are you know, the way it's married. Uh, it just has a much older, mature feeling to it than, uh, uh, well, I have to say it's my favorite.
0: <laughs> it is, it's, it's delicious. That's what I said. I've got a few bottles myself. So I, I think it's really good. Um, you know, I don't get to pair it with cigars too often, but you know, it's, <laughs> I'm not much of a cigar cigar person, but the first time I had it, I was like, I don't think you need a cigar with this. I think it's still fantastic the way it is, right?
1: Well, thanks. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's, a, it's a, always a work in progress, and um, you know, in fact, today I've been making um, uh, adjustments to the the next blend. You know, I'll occasionally when I'm back here in DC, I'll taste it, and you know, if I think it needs a little bit more. Sweetness to it, or you know, a a, a little bit more depth or length on the palate, or finesse. I'm I'm always kind of tinkering with this one to try and really get it uh, going in the direction that I want it to go.
0: That's great. So uh, I got kind of like uh, one and maybe it might lead into another question for you to kind of finish this off. Um, so, you know, you guys are doing a lot with uh, finished casks, finished stuff, whether it's in arm yak or whether it's in cognac, whatever it is. Do you kind of see barrel finishes as the future of the industry?
1: I don't know if it is the future. I, I think it is certainly a future. I, I I think as a blender, it's a really exciting area to go into. Um, I know, uh, you know, I maybe for a, a if 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 you're talking about using it with bourbon, um, I know a lot of um, bourbon fans don't really care for that. And, and that's, you know, I, I guess you know, diehard bourbon lovers and, and that's perfectly fine too. I, I do think, um, you know, for, for me, what it really adds is, is, you know, excitement and, and anytime I can, uh, you know, have a place to play and be creative and create new, um, um, flavors, you know, the, to me, the, the idea of, of Armagnac and bourbon coming together is really exciting. I I love both. I'm, I'm a big fan of both and I I like the taste of both together. It creates something very different, um, than, you know, just Armagnac or just bourbon or, you know, just, um, uh, bourbon and cognac or whatever. And, uh, so yeah, I, you know, I've. Uh, it's a matter of fact. Uh, this week here, I'm I'm working on some new. Um, I've got some new tricks up my sleeve with <laughs> some uh, new cask finishes. I don't think anyone's done um, yet. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, you know, I I think that's a really exciting area. I think, uh, of course, you know, people that work with heirloom uh, corn varietals like uh, my. Your friends and clients at a Iron Root Republic, you know that that's an exciting place for whiskey um, uh, to go. You know, there there are a lot of interesting things um, going on right now. I I think as, uh, in, at, at the end of the day, as long as you can experiment, um, w- which is good, but you have to always be able to maintain quality. Um, that that just if if you experiment, but you can't keep that up, then that, that's kind of where I draw the line. I mean, it has to be good
0: absolutely so you kind of see a lot of a lot of the the barrel finishes the types of uh, as you said heirloom grains like uh whether it's ty- types or corn whatever it is i mean of course i think for you it keeps it exciting uh you know i think uh there's there's as you said already there's a different uh you know i, I might even fall on this other side where it's just kind of like i love just a good pure bourbon right and and when and that's what i would say 90 percent of the bourbons that i have are not kind of you know finished sort of stuff however every once in a while it is kind of good to throw it in there now, I'll, I'll be honest, like, you know, when it had this cigar blend, like I don't get a whole lot. It's not like drinking an angel's envy where you're like, you're, you're like, yeah, you can definitely tell this is finished in like a port cask. Right. But like, versus something like the cigar blend that still has a lot of that bourbon flavor into it where you're not taking on a whole lot of, uh, you know, wine characteristics or anything like that. Right. No, so,
1: but you know, then, the, then again, the, the Armagnac, you know, is, is probably aromatically, I mean, and, and in some ways is a lot closer to the bourbon, anyway. So you know, and, and you're getting, um, you know, stewed prune and tobacco and uh, you know the leather the, those kind of things, um, you know, maybe dried apricot or what, whatever. And and it seems to be a lot closer, and and it um, it it really goes very well. Um, I'd, with, with that, I I, um, I have to say, you know, what the, uh, the the sherry cask finish, I, I as much as I love it, I'm, I'm not always in the mood for it as a connoisseur. Um, I love it, but um, you know, sometimes I don't want that taste necessarily. So, you know, I I think there's there's room for all these things, and they're are exciting new products, and um, you know, it kind of depends on where your palate's sat at the moment.
0: I'm totally with you. So, Nancy, I want to say thank you again for joining the show today. It was uh, very, very entertaining and uh, very, I guess you could say, educational, too, while we went through it, right?
1: Well, thank, thank you so much. I'm I'm so glad that we finally made this happen.
0: I know, right?
1: <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. So I want uh, I want you to be able to give a, a kind of plug for any way that anybody can get in contact with you. If you have a website or anything like that, that people can uh, learn more about you or anything like that.
1: Well, I, I have to say, I'm a little embarrassed to admit I don't have a website yet.
0: Well, let me let me guess. You don't have you have a let me guess. You don't have a Twitter handle either, then.
1: <laughs> the the, the one that
0: you don't have a Twitter handle either, then is that what I'm guessing?
1: <laughs> I am I, <I'm> so technophobic. <laughs> it's it's um, shameful, really. <laughs> it's
0: okay. I had, I had I had to go. I think through like LinkedIn you know, and like nine other people to get a hold of you
1: about me in the Atlantic or. <laughs>
0: Yes. So you can find her, you can find her all those different places. And, uh, and of course uh, we named all the different brands that Nancy has been uh, working with throughout the show. So uh, Wyoming whiskey, Joseph a Magnus. So you can go and you can go out there and you can go uh, put her. Yeah. So you can go out there, you, you can go out there and you can taste them and you can uh, put it to the test yourself. So Nancy, once again, thank you for joining on the show. Now, Nancy might not have a, a Twitter handle, uh, but we do, as well as Instagram and Facebook at Bourbon Pursuit. Go ahead and follow us there. If you like what you hear, make sure you support the show on uh, uh, Patreon. Uh, you can join us at three, five, or ten dollars a month. We've got T-shirts, giveaways, koozies, all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, go there, patreoncom slash pursuit If you have any other show suggestions, people you'd like to see, if you'd like to help sponsor the show in 2018, make sure you send us a message. It's The Duo, T H E D U O at BourbonPursuit.com. Uh, once again, Nancy, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you all. Thank you. Yeah, we'll see you all next week.